Welcome to Call Your Hits, a Storm Riders Airsoft podcast. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Today's episode will be the first in what what might turn into a series of discussions that Pat and I are going to have uh, in preparation for our first big airsoft scenario in several years. So organizing uh, our first big airsoft scenario in several years at Frontline Action. Before we dive into the actual content, a couple of uh, a couple of different things. So we still have our community patches available. Uh, you can find the link to this on our Discord. Um, they're available signed or unsigned, 15 bucks Canadian, whatever that works out to your local currency, shipped anywhere in the world. Uh, get you one of these. They're limited quantities. And when, when they're gone, they're gone. We're not doing another order. So now is the time if you don't have yours already. If you ask nicely, Pat will lick one before he sends it. <laughs> yeah, or rub it in his beard like Matt asked us to do. <laughs> um, the other thing that <laughs> I, uh, I trimmed I want... the beard just for you guys. Yeah. Like the other thing I want to mention <laughs> is, um, so we've got our merch store as well. So our merch store on Threadless is the main place to find our most up-to-date merchandise. Although there is a spring store that's linked on YouTube, Threadless has more merch. And actually, to be honest with you, it's cheaper for you, the end customer. Uh, typically, you will find uh, free shipping over a certain limit as well, depending on, on what you want to get. There, you can find shirts like the one that I'm wearing, this one here, That's that's me. Um, Pat is wearing one also it's also me but there's other designs there's one with Pat there's one with uh, Jason there's one with Stefan and then we've got other designs like our uh, our team logo there's and then some stickers and other designs such as this one which is one of my absolute favorite designs uh, in a long time you can get these these are three inch stickers but you could get them as big as six inches you can get them put on magnets as well for your fridge all that is really cool Um, we don't make a ton of money from the merch store it's a nice way to support the channel uh, but mostly it's if you think it's cool, it's available for you. Also, you will notice that there are two new additions on the merch store. One is pl- the Plasto Blasto, um, <laughs> the Plasto Blasto design uh, in the Supreme style. Uh, I have one coming. I know Matt uh, in California has one as well. Uh, that was his idea. So I had one printed and sent to him. Um, and then so we've got the Plasto Blasto, which I think is just absolutely hilarious. Uh, and then we also have uh, our Storm Riders logo in uh, the rainbow colors. So uh, Roy G. Biv. So that's a really cool design as well. Uh, it prints super well. Uh, so I'm just, I'm really stoked for, for those two those designs. I got one of those in the mail. Yeah, me too. Uh, so again, like I said, we don't make a ton of money from the merch store. We're not, that. that's not why we're plugging this. We're plugging it because we try to keep it as low as possible for you guys. And Threadless is really, actually really cool. Their shirt quality is excellent. Um, yeah. Yeah, the, they have one called like the Premium, which is very expensive. And I, personally, I don't think is that nice but the ultra soft is really cool so just as a as a heads up if you're looking for a shirt that's uh, that's the one I, if you I are an too american many graphic tees so it's uh, yeah. yeah that's good <laughs> and if you're if you're an american living in america the prices are ju- and the the service is just so fast like you really can't beat it for for us in canada it takes a long while but so anyways that's enough about uh the merch the only other shout out i want to mention is to chaz sam and matt 
There are Discord uh, community members. Chaz is our moderator. He's been on the program before. Well, so have all three of them. They're all currently, right now, as of time of recording, playing at Battle for, for Los Angeles 5. Um, they're playing together on the same team. They're wearing their Discord community patch. Like, it's so cool. I'm just super stoked about it. I and it. I hope they have the best possible day. A little bit uh, envious, seen... not going to lie. but Yeah, I really <laughs> wish I could be out there with them too. Um, but yeah, so it's uh, super exciting stuff. So for today, we really want to dive into the ideas behind um, behind game like creation how to run a game, all this kind of stuff. Um, and we wanted to give you some insight about how we approach event planning. Because when you think about like a scenario game for Airsoft, I mean, what you're fundamentally doing is running an event, right? Um, that event happens to have like gameplay elements, of course, because it's Airsoft. But there's a lot of things that go into event design or event planning, I should say, that really overlap with, with an and, Airsoft event, right? And as a result, this is going to be one of those... Uh learn from the daft things we've done absolutely absolutely <laughs> you know like i was saying to pat in the lead up to this like a lot of airsofters think about the coolest scenarios that they would want to do like you think about what would be awesome to run etc and when you're when you're coming up with these cool game mechanics or maybe vehicle rules or whatever you're probably not thinking about some of the less exciting stuff that is also a really important component of running a game like insurance requirements or timelines or volunteers or that kind of stuff and Worst case, like you might say, well, I'm not even going to worry about it. And then you actually do it and everything, you know, falls apart. Best case scenario, you don't think about it and everything goes fine and nobody notices. But really what you might find and what we've found is it's actually not that bad. Like all, all this boring, quote unquote, grown up stuff is not that terrible. Um, and it's just something to keep in mind. Like you're want to just going to put it as a bit of a footnote into what you're doing, but you want to make sure that you consider it. So. All that being said, um, what we're going to do today is really look at all those various elements. And we might not get to all of it today. We might have to do a part two, and that's fine. But let's really get to the meat and potatoes. So first of all, the Storm Riders are organizing our first scenario in several years. I think our last scenario at Frontline was probably 2017, maybe even 2016. Uh, so it's, yeah, been, it's, been, a it's been a while. Yeah. And so this is going to be um, Operation Last Refuge 2, and we're hosting it in May, at the end of May. Uh, we call it Last Refuge 2 because, spoiler alert, there was a Last Refuge 1. <laughs> that was the very first event that we ran at Frontline. And that was held in 2014, so over nine years ago. And, and it, was, uh, it was a really cool example of both uh, a lot of learning for us, I think, and also yeah. of like what a bunch of guys can pull off if they put their sort of hearts and souls into running a, uh, a game day for the community. Like, you know, we didn't have a huge amount of money to put into it, but we did nope. uh, a really good job in terms of the, the time and effort parts. Um, but also we made a bunch of mistakes. <laughs> yeah, as you do. Absolutely. But, uh, but at the same time, the event was really successful and it, it, it sort of springboarded us and gave the field owner confidence in our ability to run a game so that the next time we approached and said, Hey, we want to run a game. It was a, a lot of that prep work had already been done and we yeah. could just say, yeah, let's go. Right. Well, it's he, fine. He didn't, he didn't have to go. Well, is that going to be like a good thing where you rep the brand for my business? Well, where like you treat my customers well, where people come away happy. Um, you know, where am, am I going to make money on this? He could just go, yeah, do it. 
which yeah. is the outcome we wanted. <laughs> yeah, and I think we've mentioned this on the on the podcast before, but if you're thinking about running an airsoft scenario and you go to a field owner and you basically say, hey, uh, I've got this event planned out, I've got everything considered, I know what the insurance is, I know what the risks are, uh, this is what I'm going to need from you, this is what the return on the investment is going to be for you as the owner, all you need to do is say yes, that business owner would be pretty foolish not to say yes, unless there's a good reason why they can't, right? You're making it easy for them to say yes at a minimum, right? Like, which is the goal. Yeah. (laughs) So there were several things that we learned from uh, Last Refuge 1, not least of which that it was a great event. We had a lot of fun. Players really liked it. We got really good feedback from the community. But we thought that the timing was right because nine years is, you know, a long time. Like a lot of the players who play at Frontline now weren't even 10 years old when we ran last <laughs> we're, refuge we're one. seven the last time we ran this like right hmm. and uh, many of them were were not not even playing airsoft like even if they were 10 even if they were like 14 or 15 years old they might not have been playing airsoft at the time right so a lot of the things that we are going to spring on the players who show up for this game likely they did not experience the first time around and even if they did we're going to change enough things learning from our lessons that really you know there uh, it's going to be a completely new experience but that scenario was so much fun for the players but also so much fun to run that we thought okay we really i think the timing is right for us to do this uh have a big event at the start of the season and the the appetite is there from the community but as we'll talk about a little bit later on it's also important to understand what exactly is the appetite in your community and make sure that you're running a game um that suits that right yeah so like if you have um just for argument's sake a ton of players who really want a milsim experience then that's the kind of thing you want to try to deliver um you know one of the things we've talked about uh, a number of times is that like we phil and i really like the idea of milsim games um but that the broad community that we play in is sort of wants a a middle ground more so than they want um a like direct milsim experience so they want some milsim stuff um we like playing with medics right um they don't want and the the constraints of our player base is such that real capping our magazines um introducing strict ammunition limits weapon type limits and stuff is not feasible yeah um partly because we want this to be as open to new players as possible pretty much always and you know, those restrictions really do limit new players a lot. Um, likewise, you know, it's a situation where we don't want to be looking at the guy who bought an LMG because he really wants to run an LMG and going, you can't run that. Yeah. Or any other analogous thing. So, yeah. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a bit more detail, but you know, there's, there's several considerations that you need to think about with the field in particular and the community that you're in, in particular, you know, like, so, for us, Last Refuge is going to be a six-hour continuous play scenario. It's going to have milsim elements, like Pat was talking about with medics, and it's going to have role-playing elements, but I don't think it would be fair to say that it is a milsim or that it is a LARP. It's going to occupy this middle ground space. And like Pat was saying, part of that is because I want someone who is a renter to be able to show up to the field, rent a gun, and come play if they if they so choose, right? And if you're having a true milsim, that's not possible. And if you're having a true LARP, also, that's not probably going to be very appealing to someone who's just trying to check out and see what Airsoft is. So you, for us, it's important to strike that middle ground. But it's not just about like the, the community. You also have to consider what 
your actual field looks like, right? Like you can dream any scenario that you want, but when it comes to making it happen, you have to ask yourself, like, is my field that I'm planning this on capable of supporting that? Like if you're planning a, like a huge game where you want maneuver warfare as the main core component of your game, well, your field better be huge because if you're playing on a postage stamp, like that's not going to work, right? I mean, it's it's funny, right? Like, so when Phil said at the beginning of the episode, you know, like uh, what sort of cool things do you think of, right? So immediately the first cool thing I think of for any Milsim event that I like, you know, hey, Pat, you have a million dollars, go run a Milsim. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, is I'd love to have like vehicles, like do up a couple of technicals, LADs, that sort of thing. A, that's an enormous amount of money. <laughs> you yeah. know, but hey, if your community can can do that or you have people who have money to do that, sick, invite me. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, but more to the point for us, uh, the space we play in, even if I if I had the money to go buy an LAV to bring to our Airsoft game in May, there's nowhere to put it. The field's yeah, just not big it. enough. Yeah. Like, um, you know, like I'd, I'd have to run over parts of the field that we use every week to get it in there. And probably the owner would be annoyed. <laughs> um, and like you would park it and it would go nowhere. Because yeah, exactly, where's right. it going to go? Yeah. Right? There's there's no there's no well, space. We yeah, will move it 100 wild. feet that way, and then it will be inside of something else. <laughs> you know, um, so that's a constraint. Uh, we uh, ran really all of our earliest scenario type games um, in the area of Redcliffe that we've talked about before, uh, and that's a huge space. Um, you know, it's it's probably not as big as some of the biggest airsoft games uh, in the world, but like it's Certainly, still. Yeah you know, uh, like five or eight kilometers on a side square that we had access to really. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that allowed for a lot of moving around, especially when we had like 50 people playing, right? Like there was plenty of uh, area of operations to get lost in (laughs) if we wanted to. Uh, And that was both a blessing and a curse as we learned. But, you know, if you're designing a, you know, really heavily like urban scenario, and you live somewhere where you don't have an urban play field, um, then you're daydreaming. And don't get me wrong, I love daydreaming about stuff I would do with Airsoft. Um, you know, ask me what I would give for like an empty hospital or school to play in for like a weekend. But the practical constraints, if you're actually trying to plan something, are okay, so what do I have available to me? What can I rent, beg, borrow, or steal to play on? Uh, so yeah. the last option. <laughs> and there's definitely this eventually this middle ground that you likely will have to to come up with in your own thinking where you're like okay this is what i would like to do and this is where uh i you know this is this is where i can host it and this is therefore what i can do like you can think about having like uh you know like an urban battle scenario like battle of fallujah or whatever um but like if you don't have structures and like a village to play in etc that's not going to be possible, but you might have an area where you have a couple of buildings. Like what can you do with that? And, you know, for us at, at Redcliffe, for instance, like we had a couple buildings and the idea of fighting in and around the buildings is always kind of cool, but it never really shook out that way because really the, the play area was so vast that we ended up most of the time fighting in other areas and using those buildings as more of like, you know, headquarters or fobs or whatever you want to call them. Right. So understanding not just like, the the actual size and space that you have access to but also like how are people actually going to use the space that you have 
right? Like you can you can think about like Frontline, for example. Um, for for those of you who uh, you know have never have never played there, like essentially it's a large rectangle with multiple different quote unquote maps. But if you look at the field, sort of generically there's two main roads there's a path at the top that you can like a trail to access and the main road and roughly in the middle that you can use to access like the center right and those are the paths of least resistance so when people play in larger games on that field where do you think they're going to move around it everything primarily those places everything that's not those is in fact you know like brush and tree stumps and uh structures nailed to tree stumps and stuff like that are making it hard to get around so uh, in practice, yeah, like those are the the routes that people end up playing on in much the same way that when we played at Redcliffe, you know, if we were using or trying to use um, the buildings that were there, there was a road that accessed them. And that became the choke point that determined what was going on all of the time because it, it was the easy access point. Yeah. Um, you know, just, yeah, you want to get 20 people, 30 people up here? All right, you're using this area. Uh, so in practice one of the things we'll end up doing and have already done um, is thinking about how people are going to use that during our gameplay, right? So if we have a scenario in mind, which we do, um, and we've built objectives into it, one of the things we need to think about is, okay, so if you gave Pat 30 dudes and Phil 30 dudes, what would we do with that? And if we start looking at it and going, bad things, (laughs) time to adjust. Yeah, right. absolutely. And it's not just about like what the like the commanders or whatever will do, but what will the people naturally do as humans, right? Mm-hmm. And if you've played at the field before uh, that you're thinking about hosting a game at, you likely will have seen this happen. You, If you've played there more than a couple of times, you will know where the good angles are, et cetera, and people will gravitate towards that. And so if you think about you know, bringing back to what we're talking about in the context of Last Refuge 2... At Frontline, what ends up happening is that there is a large village. If you've watched any of our videos on the channel, you've likely seen that village before because it's where we do a lot of our like warm-up games and like and quick team death matches and they you know village defense, etc. You'll have noticed that and, we spend a lot of playtime in that area because A, it's quite yeah. fun, but and everyone kind of agrees on that. Yeah. And so when you host any sort of big game and Frontline has hosted games that, you know, we weren't involved in in hosting, but like the Battle of Stalingrad they used to do annually or whatever, most of the day ends up fighting for the village. That's what ends up happening because it's a very defensible point. It has a lot of really good overwatch positions once you get to the top of the two story and you've got a long range, you know, or quote unquote long range airsoft replica you can put a lot of hate down you can control a lot of the field um, and you can do it with so, a relatively small number of players as well right yeah, like you can yes you can secure if you have you know 20 or 30 people on your team you can secure the village with eight of them and have the rest of them go do something and to be honest uh in a vacuum where there are no objectives forcing you directly away from that those eight people will stay there all day provide you with a area to sort of come back to and regroup and like, you know, reload your BBs and have a sandwich. Uh, And the other team will put way more resources into trying to push them out of there than is viable a lot of the time. Yeah. And if you think we'll talk about this in a little bit, but like, you know, that's not going to be very fun for the other team. And so in fact, we know this from playing at Frontline enough. And so every single game that we've hosted, and Last Refuge 2 is not going to be any exception, we always take the village out of the equation in some way, shape, or form. So to give you some context, one of the ops we ran was called Operation Blind Gambit. And in that game, 
the village was considered irradiated. So the only people who could enter the village uh, as part of gameplay, of course, game staff, et cetera, we're not talking about, but like any, the only players who could enter the, the village had to be wearing some sort of radiation suit, uh, which for us was just like a, a white Tavik suit yeah, white, and uh, white off painter, you go. White, like painter, a, white painter suit. Suits. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, just. like we got at the dollar store or whatever. Just slap yeah. that on over your gear and you can go. But we only gave the team two of each. So we knew that those players, like they may end up fighting in there or not, but it would only be a maximum of two players. And we also told them like yeah it doesn't protect you forever like you can be there in there for a maximum of like 30 minutes or something so we we put that in place and then we would say okay well you were going in there for a particular reason like you're going to retrieve some sort of intel or do something cool or do something sketchy or whatever right so that's what we did in that case in some cases even just like going in there to observe part of the field that's currently held by the other team yeah who won't know that we've let you into the village (laughs) yeah so then be the, sneaky yeah well and, and you know we'll talk about rewarding you know clever gameplay in a little bit too but in last refuge what the whole idea behind the the scenario is that the village is the last refuge of for a group of like villagers uh local inhabitants preppers or yeah, it's whatever got, it's got and the so, kind of fallout vibe yeah right so they have their own <laughs> thing going they've got their own police force they've got their own rules they've got their own um you know like we we've said to the players um, or we said to them at the time, the players who are attending this time will be told shortly, but, uh, you know, they're going to be actors, right? They're going to be playing a particular role. They may not be friendly to you. They may be unfriendly. They may be rude. They may not speak English, depending on the actors that we get. If they speak different languages, we're always going to tell them, go ahead and speak whatever language you speak other than English, just to confuse people, yes, like all this kind of stuff. Our, one right? of the goals here invariably is to set up sort of hiccups and speed bumps for the people playing to try to work their yeah. way around. And so... Uh, you know, if we get a guy who speaks Spanish, yeah, ask, don't, don't respond in English. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, totally. And I did that at the last one and that was, that was really great. But so one, you one of my you... favorite memories of Airsoft uh, is Phil shouting in French at two guys who were like booting it across the field to do recon, to stop and drop their weapons in French and them just freezing like deer in headlights and just staring at us like, yeah. <laughs> yeah they did not know what was going on just, like not a clue was so good. it was awesome <laughs> but yeah so uh, to come back to this part so by doing this what we've done is we've effectively removed the village from the play area because stuff that happens in the village at least for a portion of the day or depending on what the forces do uh is going to be about role playing in the village right so you won't be occupying it in any way shape or form the villagers may for example ask you to leave your replicas at the door right before you come in so you could be disarmed in there so um you know or the other team may decide to completely attack the village and try and take uh take the defenders out or the villagers out which is not going to be very likely because you know they may be getting missions or they may be getting revenue or they may be getting bonuses from the village that they don't want to lose or sacrifice by doing that or taking that action right last time it was also you know, helpful in that the village was occupied by, you know, a number of people who came to help us out and volunteered, but also by 10 storm riders. Yeah. Yeah. You know, who, when people started shooting into the village, were like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's already hard enough to take the village with defenders, not, and so now they're already there and they're already armed. Yeah. So, but so this is this is the kind of situation that you can create, right? When you're when you're creating these games, you need to think about okay, like 
if there's this particular choke point or there's this particular area that I know all the fighting is going to happen around, and also that's what players are expecting is going to happen, you can turn that expectation on their head by saying, okay, well, I'm just going to remove that from play in some way. Yeah, right. By, by making it not beneficial or by making it a completely different thing. It's like if you have a particular building that people usually use to hold a particular choke point, maybe you put like a cantina in there or a shop. Right, that people can go and use, to, you know, use in-game currency to buy like whatever, like a bottle of water or BBs or, or what have you. Then what's going to happen? Nobody's going to be able to go in there. That's going to change the way that the battlefield, the airsoft field, is shaped. Right. So you know, concurrently, like one of the things we did at Redcliffe was we looked at areas of the field that were uh, serviceable to operate as team FOBs that weren't the places we usually used as the default sort of like spot to chill in between games or in play and force people to go figure out, okay, how do I move around this area from this place we don't normally play as much? Um, you know, with Frontline, one of the biggest pieces is just, okay, we got to take the village out of the play because everyone uses it all the time. So yeah. that's going to be, if you're running any kind of game, a thing to think about. If there's a piece that's just, this gets used all the time, this is a gameplay aspect that occurs all the time, let's either remove it or... Um, you know, if you can't remove it, try to flip the problem, right? So one of the recurring things uh, at Redcliffe was a game archetype that sort of played uh, up an incline north to south. Uh, if you adjust where the teams are starting, it becomes a game that's being played on the same terrain, but east to west. Mm -hmm. And that really does tinker with how you have to approach it. <laughs> and why yeah and it's and it's funny because we've talked about this when we were talking about game modes just in general at a random skirmish and like what happens when you play a game you know north to south typically and then you're like oh well now we're going to play east to west and now your cover is not the same and it's oriented different ways and how that changes um that that dynamic for you on the field right so again if you're listening to this and you're thinking about how am I going to organize an event or, you know, the, the first stop definitely needs to be, okay, what does the field look like? And you may not have a field in mind right now, but chances are you probably are thinking of your home field, right? Is your field capable of su sustaining the type of game that you want? And what would you have to do or modify about the field or modify about the scenario, right? One or the other, depending, or maybe both. Uh, to be able to accommodate what you're trying to achieve. But the second part of that is what exactly are you trying to achieve, right? What is the main game idea, right? So if you rem remember several weeks ago, we had Eric uh, from Gun Gamers on the podcast, and he was talking about game design. And uh, he was saying how for the Gun Gamers productions, they're looking at doing, you know, like a, a winter event, which is winter airsoft, right? And so the whole idea behind that game is creating an experience where people are experiencing the suck that is playing airsoft in winter to, to put it just <laughs> the, bluntly, the drawbacks right? <laughs> yeah um or the the um inherent challenges let's call it right um but so that's one thing right or if you think about when we were talking to uh chris the six millimeter mandalorian about star wars games like if that's what you're trying to do like you already have your idea in place or if it's a tarkov game that you're trying to run like uh, jordan was talking to us about right so that might if you've already got that in mind that might be a bit easier for you to figure out the flip of that is you don't necessarily need to have a strong concept like that either for us for example what we're trying to do is create an experience that people can come to that they can drop in that's casual enough but that's just focused on you know a longer duration where tactical and strategic choices matter because i think one of the things that 
airsofters uh, in general, I would say broadly, don't really understand is the difference between strategy and tactics, like and how how that plays out. And for the most part, for our skirmishes, et cetera, we're dealing with tactics, right? We're dealing with small plays, right? We're not thinking about, okay, how is this action that I'm taking? How is this going to have repercussions over the next hour? right? Or two hours? Or how does this set me up for success in the next half of the game as opposed to where we are now? And so you might be looking to create those. What can I do to make sure that things go right for today or today and tomorrow? Yeah. So it's like, you know, you might have airsoft just be like, oh, we got to take the village. Okay, cool. But like, why? And what are you going to do when you've done that? Like, what is the purpose? What is you're doing that? But for what? What's the next move? Right? Uh, it's like in like in, in chess, we call it they, they call it like one movers, right? You take the piece. Okay, cool. But now what? Like, why did you do that? Right? And so you, if you're only you playing a 10 minute a game, well, yeah, you know, if you're only playing a 10 minute game of airsoft, like you probably don't need really need to think about that. Like you're you're gonna think about it, you'll you'll die, go to respawn, whatever, that's all good. But if you're playing a six hour game, right, you need to think about that because you might go and take, you know, whatever point in the first like 20 minutes of the game. Yeah, you still have five hours and 40 minutes to go, bud. What now? And right? you're also in a situation where um if you're doing continuous play, which is one of the things we definitely have stressed uh with these games uh and are gonna continue to. So your players need a safe place to reload their mags, right? Like, and I don't mean that as talking to like the gameplay organizer. I mean that as talking to the guys running the teams, right? You need to be thinking about, okay, so there's no safe zone in play other than like as a spot to like pull people out of the game for medical reasons or anything like that that could come up, which is a thing you should plan for just in case, (laughs) you know, uh, we are playing a, a very sprained ankle kind of sport. Uh, but, you know, one of the things that we, uh, you know, we've thought of uh, in terms of like thought about a whole bunch is, okay, so what do we do about, uh, <clears throat> sorry, what do we do about making sure that everyone stays hydrated? What do we do about making sure that, you know, the people running the teams think about reloading, think about giving their teammates a break every now and then because most of your airsoft players aren't going to be able to go, go, go for eight hours. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, uh, what do we as game organizers want to do to try to make sure that everyone gets some food in them during the day because hungry players are cranky players. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I think if you think about a Milsim, some of the burden of that falls back on your command team, right? Come, you know, your your leaders, your uh, whether it's your your squad leaders, your team leaders, your your commanders, etc. They, in my opinion, if they are competent, should be making sure that their players are eating and drinking and stuff. But at a random at a random like Milsim where you have drop in players, you don't necessarily know if people are going to be prepared and thinking that way. And so one of the mechanisms that we put in place is we use respawn timers that are at a set time. So for instance, at Last Refuge 2, if you get hit and you get medic and then you get hit again, you're 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 dead. So you have to make your way back to your respawn. Well, if you get to your respawn and the timer just click, clicked over, well, unfortunately, you are there for the longest period possible, which we haven't really determined how long we want it to be. It could be 15 minutes, it could be, you know, half an hour, but the game is only 6 hours, so it's probably going to be yeah, on the shorter probably side. Probably 10 right? or 15, but yeah, we'll we haven't completely nailed it in. 
And, right. So what are you going to do with that time? You know, right. Are you just going to like break out Flappy Bird on your phone for 10 minutes? Like you should be using that time and your team should be encouraging you to use that time to reload your mags, get some food in you, get some water in you, right? Get prepared for when you go back, you're basically at maximum capacity, maybe even plus plus. Like yeah. what, why don't you reload a couple extra mags so when you hit your to the field, you can run up to a buddy and give him Relo- a couple extras because reload he hasn't your mags, hit in a while. Reset your grenades. But, you know, like, yeah, it's also one of those things like, oh, I've got 15 minutes of downtime in this six hour game time for the tactical sandwich. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, or like a bag of Skittles or whatever it is. Right. Like, like you f- fuel, hydrate. Maybe you need to go take a pee in the woods. Like, you know, as I always say, fill your boots. Right. Uh, not with pee. Just go and go and do your business is what I mean to say. Um, but, you know, like your boots are as already a game full of organizer. Right. Like as a game organizer. That is a deliberate choice that you make specifically so that your players have those opportunities, right? And you need to make them, right? Thinking back again to your players, like you may want to try to run the most hardcore self-sustained event, et cetera, and that's fine. But if your players are not capable of dealing with that for whatever reason, right, then that's not good. That's not good design on your part. And you really want to try to make it so that, you know, the thing is as I hesitate to say idiot proof, but idiot proof as possible, mm-hmm. um, you know, and like not necessarily in terms of, you know, how to figure out and problem solve objectives, but in terms of making sure that, you know, if people in your community aren't going to think about that sort of stuff, that you are trying to like provide them avenues to be encouraged to think about it. Cause yeah, you know, uh, one of the regular things with our airsoft community, and I suspect with all of them, is we get players who are young, right? Yeah. So, like, um, you know, not to not to seem to be uh, being mean to the poor fourteen-year-olds and twelve-year-olds who play airsoft because they're awesome and they're part of the sport, but they are fourteen and twelve, <laughs> right? Yeah, they need a little bit more you guidance, know. right? Um, and so having someone to like go, "Hey, did you eat something?" is occasionally useful. And in fairness, that's not entirely determined by age, but we'll pretend it is. <laughs> yeah, we'll pretend you have is. some pretty stupid old people too. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but like, yeah, it ends up being a valuable thing to think about. Yeah. Um, and so, oh, sorry. Yeah, and what what I was going to say is, you know, when you think about, again, game design in particular and the logistics of it, one of the ways that we found to be very effective at supporting that is by, so we talk about how, you know, we're Milsim adjacent, and one of the ways that we we hit on the Milsim aspect is always having some sort of command structure and having a commander, and at some Milsims um, that we've talked to people about, like the commanders are usually part of the game staff. Right. And that's not something that we do. Typically, the commanders are not on, quote unquote, our payroll. Nobody gets paid. But just so we understand what I'm trying to say, like they're not part of the staff. However, we rely on the commanders as though they were another role in the event. And we share a lot with them and we depend on them for not just in-game stuff but also for gameplay support stuff. And so uh, making sure that they understand that the respawns for their teams 
are to give their players breaks or opportunities to eat and drink is one aspect of that, right? So they understand why we've done this and they can encourage their team. Now, you know, it's like the the analogy, like you can't lead, you can lead a horse to water, you can't make them drink. They can only tell their players, hey, while you're at Respawn, remember to eat your food and drink your water. But if they're doing that, that's one thing that we can, we can, you know, be confident that they're handling on their end. The other thing that we use uh, the commanders for is for hit calling and cheating issues, right? This is something that we found extremely effective. If there's a player on the field who thinks that another player, a player on the other team, I should say, is cheating, is not calling their hits or whatever, which is shitty and you shouldn't do that, right? Again, but let's assume that it is. What we then do as game staff, yeah, Pat's, and my shirt says it too, call your hits. Uh, But what we do as game staff is we take that report and we go to the commander and we say, hey, there is a player on your team who the other team thinks is not calling their hits. Can you please look into us and let us know? And we'll tell them who we think that player is or who has been reported or whatever. And if that issue is is done, then, then the issue is done. But we, we make it clear to the commanders, if it keeps happening, we will start deducting points from your team. And, right? and that and usually so that straightens way, that out pretty quick. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Because like, I mean you know, kicking a player out or whatever is certainly one thing. But if if the cheater then understands that if their behavior continues, their team will lose as a result of uh, their actions, well, then suddenly maybe that seems not so great, right? So we also, we have refs and stuff on the field, but we use that, again, we use the commanders as an opportunity to support uh, to support the gameplay just a little tiny bit more, right? Um, that they're you know, to put it bluntly, like they're a resource that we're using, um, you know, and like in general, uh, the people who are playing uh, sort of commander roles in our Milsims are people who are veteran players because uh, it's not a great role to hand to someone who's never done it before and who doesn't have a lot of experience playing Airsoft, mm-hmm. um, you know, and so you probably don't want to have your uh your commanders, your your officers, for want of a better way to think of this, uh, for either of your teams, picked at random. That doesn't yeah. usually work well, uh, because you yeah. Need and just for able, context, yeah, go ahead. Because you need them to be able to lead and to direct. And like we have had it be fairly um, loose in some of our approaches to this in the past. Uh, we've done a better job of. Uh, making sure we were picking people who we thought would do a good job in the longer term and will continue to do so. Um, But like, Mm -hmm. it's definitely an error that we made. (laughs) Yeah. And so for our, uh, I'm not sure for last refuge, the first one, we had two players uh, come up and volunteer and we, so we just said, yeah, sure. That's fine. And we were, we were lucky. Like they were confident. Yeah. The the folks who volunteered were the people we, in retrospect, I suspect should have picked, like they would have been good choices. Um, but. Yeah. And so for this one, we're, we're taking applications. Like the way that it works is if you want to be a commander, uh, it's not up to your team. Like it's up to, it's up to us. Like we will have a conversation and now we're not going to be like asses about it. Like we're not going to be like, oh, you're not good enough, but we want to at least have a conversation with you to understand like, Hey, why are you interested in being commander? Like, what is your, have you done this before? Like, what's your experience, et cetera. If you're and looking to, set- to do it because you really want to be in charge, that's not as good a thing as if you're looking to do it because you yeah. want everyone to have a really good time. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, it can, it can be know. both. And I think fundamentally, it's like we want to explain to them as well what our expectations of them are going to be beyond the average player. Yeah, do right? you actually want and to do the thing cool we them. think of yeah. as being the commander? 
Yeah, and this is how this is how you're going to play the game. This is how we're going to rely on you. Does that sound good to you? Right? Because if it doesn't sound good to you, if that's not what you signed up for, then that's not going to work either. And so that's a big recommendation that I have for for most people. Like if you have uh, if you're going to have commanders at your games, make sure that either A, they're on your staff or B, that you're you are picking them, but you're doing so like collaboratively, right? To make sure that everybody understands sort of what they're getting into, that's going to make a really big difference. To use sort of um role-playing game like D&D terminology for a second uh you need to have a session zero right you need to be talking these things over with probably not all of the players I mean you do want to have a briefing yeah. at the beginning with everybody but like anyone who's going to be serving in a responsibility bearing role even if they're not staff um or especially if they're not game staff you need to have a chat with them that talks about the goals that talks about what you're expecting of them that talks about what they're expecting in return um, yeah. and that talks about, you know, like how we want this all to fall out and the approaches we want to see taken here, because if you're not on the same page, uh, that can be a really big problem. Right. Um, and you know, I mean, if we have a player who shows up, who wants to be a commander, uh, and is a good fit for it, fantastic, you know, but like, uh, one of our, uh, one of our teammates, uh, miles has shown up and we spent a while like leaning on his training and background to get him to run teams and stuff like that. And he actually eventually came to us and like, you know, I don't really enjoy this. Like this isn't for me. Um, cause mm -hmm. it's too much like work. <laughs> um, yep, legit. and you know, I think probably it would have been better if we'd had that conversation sooner because he would have had more fun at more games. Um, yeah. you know, and ultimately like that's not, it wasn't a big deal. It wasn't a, a problem. Um, it's just a example of, yeah, we should have had better comms on this and not had the problem in the first place. So, uh, as an event organizer, you really want to have clear comms from the get go. Uh, and you need to be very clear with your players about what they're getting into and what you are planning on running. And, you know, that frankly, you know, even comes back to sort of like your, um, your post immediate thoughts that we've been talking about. So you're after you've got a field to play on and talk to the owner and stuff, you know, you're probably going to market the thing a little, right? You're going to need to do up posters. Those posters should have, Oh, this is going to be sort of Milsim, <laughs> right? Um, you know, they should include some of the thematic elements you're trying to convey because, you know, uh, you can run a, all day zombie airsoft game if you want to and do really cool things with that. But it's not going to look like a Milsim game, nor is it going to look like the sort of um, survivor village in the middle of nowhere with two armies that we're going to be running uh, for our last yeah. refuge too. So Unless the villagers were zombies, which... Hmm. Anyway, we'll park uh, that one. <laughs> we, have, we have evil ideas. We'll be back to those later. <laughs> you know, but you want to be clear with everyone who's going to come play about what you're running. You want to be clear with your game staff yeah. about what you're running. Uh, and it's one of these things where, you know, you don't need to beat it to death, but be direct about what your goals are with people. Cause it's going to make it a lot easier both to convince people to be interested, hopefully, yeah. you know, but also to get the right kind of people in the roles that you need filled. And, you know, as a last sort of logistical aspect um, that I, I want to touch on before we talk about a bit more gameplay ideas, you know, when you rely on people, uh, either as volunteers 
or or staff or commanders or or what have you, and they're doing more than what's expected them as uh, expected of them just as a regular player. One thing you really want to consider is how are you going to show your gratitude to that individual, right? So if you're running a game and you are making money on that game, and just as a spoiler for or not a spoiler, but just to you know peek behind the curtain, we are not making boy, money. Boy, We're not asking. Boy, we ain't. <laughs> No, like this is coming, all the expenses, like it's primarily coming out of my pocket. I'm going to talk to Mike about some things that we might want, like smoke grenades or whatever, but like we're, we're, we're covering all the costs and that's fine. Right. I don't mind that. I want to run a good game. That's cool. But, you know, we'll be here to defray the props and stuff. And like, yeah, but I still want to show my gratitude to the people who are going to be staff or volunteers or whatever in some way, either by making sure that they have food and water there that they don't have to bring for themselves, uh, either by, you know, uh, giving them a public thanks, um, by giving them a shirt or some stickers or some, you know, some stickers or some merch that you can get on the store uh, or you know, even if, by get you know talking to the field owner and giving him a free pass for the game, you know, or for another game or something like that. Yep. And if you're making money from the game, then you should absolutely be returning a little bit of that money to yeah, those it's... players, not necessarily by paying them, but by giving them something like you know an event shirt or you know something for their time. That's the absolute least you can do for all the work and they're going to yeah, be doing. It becomes a you know a pay it forward kind of thing, right? Uh, totally. And you know, like we've never made money on these uh we've exclusively to be to be honest we've exclusively lost money on these but like yeah it's it's a very much a lost money because i can't think of one of these where i didn't have a blast um yeah and you know they've also been things that have you know we've talked about this on the podcast before but they've motivated people to do similar things right like you know, yeah. one of the wicked things about doing this sort of stuff is you have a bunch of people in your community who are creative, who are going to go, oh man, I can run one of those. And then you get to play, um, yeah. you know, so like it, uh, avoids the sort of, again, to, you know, to lean on the RPG terms a little bit, you know, it avoids the forever DM problem that you get in some D and D groups pretty easily because you've got 80 people playing or 40 people playing. Right. Um, yeah. You know, but it's also one of those things where, yeah, like we um, aren't trying to monetize these. We never have. We're never gonna, I imagine. Um, you know, like we both have day jobs that pay for our daft hobbies. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. So the the practicum for us is just, yeah, let what can we do to make this a cool experience for people? Um, you know, and so like at a bare minimum, the commanders, you know, are gonna get, you know, a round of applause at the end of it. We know, you know, um, we're going to thank them. We're probably going to toss some stuff at them if we have stuff to toss at them. Um, yeah. you know, and like, it's about making it a positive experience for those players. So you want to find people who want to do it, acknowledging that, you know, like being the commander, uh, in this kind of game, in any Milsim game, usually means keeping your face out of the fight and your hand on your radio a lot more than is conventional for an airsoft game. Um, yeah, totally, you know, but like, there are a lot of people like I've, I've done that role and found it to be actually kind of refreshing. Like it's a very different way of doing things. Um, but a fun one, not everyone will find it that way. Not everyone will love yeah. it. Not everyone will hate it. Lots of people will be sort of like, well, it was okay. Um, you know, but you want to try to pick players who find the idea appealing. Um, and then, yeah, if you can give them, you know, a t-shirt, if you're doing t-shirts, you know, uh, a hat, if you're doing hats, you know, like, um, 
And it doesn't have to be much. Like just even anything just to show your appreciation above and beyond totally. will make a huge make makes a huge impact, yeah. right? And the whole idea that Pat was saying, you know, like what we're trying to do is get people who want to do this again, right? And maybe eventually who run it themselves. And the best way that you can do that is just by by making sure that they're they're engaged and that they feel like their time was well spent and that it was valued. Right. That's the biggest thing. Like you want to show them that you valued their time. And, you know, it's very easy to do that. Sometimes it's just as easy as, hey, man, thank you so much. This would not have been possible without yeah, you. Like right. And sometimes it's a T-shirt. Like whatever. Yeah, I mean, or, you know, we're both like, but or it's both. just it's, it's really a matter of just like be aware that you are uh, going to have players who are going to lean into this, who are going to be players. Yeah. You are benefiting from having their helping out um, and that they, you know, they deserve a high five for it. Um, yeah. You know, but. So yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, and, but I think you know this is just a bit of a footnote. I really want to dive into some uh, the aspects around the the actual game play because uh, we've talked a lot about sort of the lead up to it. Before we dive into that, the only other thing I want to mention is insurance. I know some of us in the community have worked in insurance or currently work in insurance. Insurance is a thing that you will want to consider. Now, when we are running this event at Frontline, Teeth it is bare field, right? <laughs> well, and it's not just that, right? Uh, in Canada, North America, uh, I, and I can I, well, I can only say I can't say North America. I can say Canada. I can say United States. Like you can be held personally responsible for your actions. And so, if you run a game, right, and someone gets hurt and they decide to sue you as the game organizer, right? If you don't have insurance, that's going to yeah. be a problem. You, you right? want to have insurance between you and, or between a person who breaks their leg at your airsoft game and. Please, God, that never happens. But like, there you go. Uh, and your house yeah. that you live in. <laughs> yeah. And so for us at Frontline, Frontline is hosting the game. They're taking the burden of responsibility, right? So in this particular instance, I myself do not need to ensure this event because Mike and Tom and the people at Frontline, they're the ones who are, who are taking on that particular risk. If you are hosting a game, in a random area, in a field, for instance, where there is no other, ins- there, there is no other owner, right? Um, you will likely want to have insurance. If you are hosting it at a field where the owner tells you, I am not, you can host it here, but I'm not taking any liability whatsoever, you will need insurance. Yep. If Tom turns around to me and say, hey, yeah, we're happy to keep hosting your games, but I don't want to take the liability. It's going to have to be on you guys. At that point, I will also need insurance, right? So this is absolutely something you need to take into consideration uh it's absolutely boring grown-up stuff although if you're like me and you're a bit of an insurance nerd maybe it's not that boring but regardless um it's it's something that it's not going to take up too much of your time but you you really really need to consider it and if you specifically don't want to do it so let's say for example you've got a dynamic duo like pat and me and pat turns and says hey phil this insurance stuff i would rather blow my brains out i would go okay no worries bud i got you lean on somebody else to do it for you I have someone who, you know, knows a lot about it, um, yeah. you know, but it's one of those things where even if it were just me trying to figure it out and I didn't have someone who understands it on tap, uh, it's the kind of thing where it's a really bad idea to go ahead with something like this without figuring it out. So yes, it might suck. Like it's, it's possible that you will really not enjoy the process, but figure it out. there's and it's it's really not that it's really not that complicated talk to a broker about it but regardless i mean that's enough of this insurance companies as it turns out do want you to be able to avail of their services 
Yes. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> they want your money. Uh, and, it, you know, depending on what you're trying to do, like the cost is probably not what you think it is. Um, one way or another, it's not going to be $2, like, but you really need to look into it. So anyways, that's enough of the boring grown up stuff. Let's talk about the, the, the last element that I really want to touch on today, just looking at how long we've been talking already. Oh, so well. the last thing, Time the flies. last thing I really wanted to, to, to touch on is the, the gameplay design. So you've, you've, you found a field that you want to play on that can support the activity that you want to do. You know what the concept is overall that you're trying to achieve. Now the question is, what exactly are you going to do? Like, how exactly are your players going to play this game? How exactly are they going to win? Right. What exactly is the win condition? What are they trying to achieve? Yeah, how do we and how do we mechanically you, build a game out of all of these pieces that's fun to play? Exactly right. Yeah. And so for us at Last Refuge, what we have decided is the core mechanic is that the field will be divided up into multiple different what we call like capture points or control points or CPs, whatever you want to call it. And the team that controls it will at at regular intervals will be called and they will be asked like over the radio the commander will be asked hey which control points do you have and when they report that and it's confirmed by the game staff etc they will score points at regular intervals so let's say for example every hour uh we call for a sit rep and say hey what do you control and they say we control points one and two so they'll get two points and the other team will get one point right and so at the end of the day there is a maximum number of points that you can score based on the number of, of capture points. So you want to be the team with the most capture points. If, if like the that's answer, the core mechanic. If the answer is, okay, so there are three capture points and each one's worth a point in the game per hour and the game is six hours long, 18 points. If you have more than yeah. half of 18 points, you win. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Easy. So that's the core that's the core mechanic, right? But then at the same time, you don't necessarily want to have the game to for us anyway, we don't want the game to be all about just fighting over capture points. We also want to include role playing elements. So then we want to give missions to the villagers potentially or intel to the villagers that they can share or not share with the players who they like or don't like uh, that enable them to go on the field and get benefits uh, boosts, or even potentially return, for example, buried treasure or something like that. It might not be buried treasure. It could be like an EMP device or a fallen drone or Intel or whatever. But when they bring it back, then they score I, points for excuse that. Excuse me, I need to right? go buy a pirate hat and a shovel. Um, and then on top of that, you might say, oh, well, we are going to issue the commander's missions to complete during the game. And the missions are going to serve two purposes. On the one hand, the missions can get the team uh, the team to score points. Like if you complete this thing, you get a victory point or whatever, right? But also by completing those missions or by taking on these missions, we can then get the commander to shape the battlefield differently. So for instance, we could give the commander a mission to take some of his forces from one area and move them to another area to go fight for a victory point. And when we do that, we also give the other commander a mission to go take the the victory point area that the other team just vacated to go attack something else, yeah. right? So we can use so this to, to create. Yeah, we can use this to move players around the field, and uh, among other things, it lets us prevent people from getting too comfortable, right? So that situation where you know yeah. a group of people is hunkered down and another group of people is hunkered down opposite them and they're just shooting at one another, and they're going to be there for an hour shooting at one another. Okay, let's adjust that by giving them both reasons to move um, yeah absolutely you know and like in air quotes 
you know, in the real world, uh, that's a thing that happens because of environmental stuff, climate stuff, or like uh, combat elements that aren't feasible in airsoft, right? Um, mm-hmm. We lack the ability to uh, do airstrikes <laughs> generally. Um, but, uh, you know, you can still look at the situation and go, okay, well, if there's, you know, 30 guys sitting shooting at one another on control point two, and it's been like that for an hour and nothing has really come out of it for either team. Let's give them reasons to move those guys off that point. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, on the flip side of this is none of the things that we give as missions need to be, uh, need to be completed. So like we'll, we'll tell the commander, Hey, this is the mission that you have. This is what we would like. This is what command would like you to do or whatever, top brass, whatever you want to call it. And then the commander can decide whether or not they want to do that thing, right? Now, if they choose to take on the mission, then they get victory points. If they take on the mission and fail, they lose points. And if they don't take on the mission, then maybe they don't lose anything, right? So they get they get the burden to, to make that decision based on the tactical situation, the tactical awareness that they have, and the strategy that they've been implementing so far in the game. And so you get that cool, okay, the can mission- I do this right now? Yeah, exactly. Or do I want to wait or, or what the deal is? So there's that. On the flip of that, you want to make sure that as a game organizer, you're not giving impossible tasks because, you know, like, let's say that you have the, the village is well defended and you give them missions like, hey, go attack the village and take it. That's not fun. Like, that's not possible. That may not be possible. And that's not going to feel good for anybody for them to just go, what, break their nose against the village doors all day long? Like, no, that's that's no fun. So you, you really want to strike that balance of I'm giving you a mission. You can determine whether or not it makes sense for you to try and attempt that or or not, um, but it doesn't feel like you must or you cannot. It's like you're just you're not able yeah, to do whatever, this. Right? Whatever we're handing out needs to be interesting, not what's currently happening in play, and ideally achievable. Yeah, and engage. You know, like like you're saying, like it really has to engage their their juices, their their thinking, right? Like, okay, can I do this? How would I do this? Like, that's how you're also going to create engaging gameplay for the the commanders, right? Or even not just the commanders, but also if you have team leaders and stuff in your game. Like at that level, they are starting to think about, okay, how am I going to organize myself to accomplish this particular objective, right? If you tell them, hey, go attack this point, and they're like, okay, so we're not, our disposition is not set up currently to do that how do i need to rearrange things how do i make that happen on the field to be able to achieve that mission and we've done that relatively successfully at our games in the past and it's something we're going to continue because players respond really well to that and um and and players at all levels like when you give them a mission like if you're just a rank and file whatever right and you're like oh you know the commander's got a mission for you it's like oh okay cool i guess i'm special i'm gonna get to do something right and that feels fun and it becomes a thing where it's like, okay, go problem solve your way out of this. And the players generally go, sure. Yep, absolutely. And, you know, on top of that, like there's this, there's this added element to uh, this, this, this component, which is that you're also creating additional ways for teams to win, right? One of the things that I've heard loud and clear in the episodes that we've done with people going to Milsims in the U S in particular is that, when they feel that their team is losing, they don't necessarily stay, right? They leave or they don't come back for the second day because ah, it was too hard on the first day. We're definitely lost. It's no sense in me coming back, which by the by, it kind of sucks. Like, why are you spending money to go to a game if that's what that's what you're doing? But that's beside the point. <laughs> it um, is a problem for the, the organizers. 
Yeah, and if you're running like a six-hour game and people are losing steam, right? Like that's that's not good either. Like if you're if you're looking at this game and like four hours in, you're like, there is no way for my team to win. I'm not gonna like I'm not gonna try anymore. Like, what's the sense? That sucks. So you need to create elements where it never feels like you can't win. Like you have some sort of avenue. So for our game, like yes, you have the control points right but just because the other team controls a con- you know like half of the control points and they're going to get you know the uh, the 10 victory points to your eight on the control points that doesn't mean you can't make up the difference by getting intel on the field or by, by making missions and you don't know what the other team has done so really on your end as the commander and as the as a leadership team you can't let the foot off the gas because if you do you're definitely going to lose yeah, we want- right because you don't know what the other team is doing you always want the people playing on both teams to feel like they're in charge and have agency over winning. Um, yeah. And one of the things that's really important we found is, so if you just have that direct, there are three control points, six hours thing, then there's going to be a point in the day where potentially one team hits um, the number of points required to win and you still have time on the clock for play. And that's not going to be great if there's no other factor to balance out okay well we can win by other means than just controlling territory yeah and one of the things that we've we've considered and we're you know we're definitely going to implement at uh, last refuge too is the is the potential as well for an auto lose right and that needs to be do- that needs to be there specifically to make sure that the the teams don't let up certain parts of the gameplay in favor of something else. So for example, at Last Refuge, uh, when it comes to to capture points, if one team scores more than two thirds of the, of the victory points from capture points, they will have been considered at the end of the day to have dominated the battlefield and it doesn't matter what else happened, they win, right? And when you do this, now two thirds, by the way, I mean, that is a lot. Like they will have to work extremely hard if that's going to do that, if they're going to be able to achieve that. And so what that means, though, is that the other team just can't say, you know what, we're going to let them have the capture points and we'll focus on missions. No, you can't do that. You yeah. have to try for capture we, points. We want to be, Otherwise, they're going to win outright. We want to, as much as possible, uh, force the teams to play the entire game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we don't want them to... It is a game, but we don't want to them to game it do you know what i mean like we don't want them to we want them to play the rules not just as written but as intended right there's a whole experience out there and we want the teams to get the opportunity to engage in all of it and this is especially important of the thing well yeah and it's especially important when you think about what exactly are you doing well you're running an event with lots of different people who have lots of different interests right so maybe some people want to do the role play and if you tell them, no, don't worry about the role play. We're just going to rock the capture points all day. That kind of sucks for them, right? Yep. And, you know, we're not doing pre-assigned teams by and large. Like if, yep. you know, a group of four players show up and go, hey, we want to play together, we'll accommodate them, accommodate that as much as we can. Um, yeah. But like we're not doing preceded teams. It's going to be pretty much random day of, as far as I know. Um, yeah, no, that's and, that's right. Well, you know, we'll... You know, within, yeah. within reason. Um, and so you're going to have a mix of players, right? Like we're not going to have yeah. a situation where all the players who are into the role-playing elements of the gameplay are on one team. <laughs> yeah. And you know, the other thing too, and just as a side note, something that I, we haven't said before, but like we are going to have people 
like some 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 uh, events in the states. Like I know, like American Mill Sim, they do like cost versus. Um, what is the other team? Uh, you you. Nick, help me out here, bud. UFS. You, I think it's UFS. Anyways, I'll, I'll say it's UFS. So at American Milsim Games, you have like cost versus UFS. Um, but some teams, they do like green versus tan or whatever, right? Um, the thing is, like as for our type of game, green versus tan would be fine. But where do I put uh, jeans and hoodie? Where does that fit <laughs> in green and tan, right? Um, so Or multicam black. Where do I put that, right? And so for us, like we're not trying to get people boxed into either one. We want to be as um, as open as possible, right? Flexibility uh, so. Yeah, so, you know, we're going to be using armbands instead. Like, it's going to be, I can't remember, I think I came up with some two clever names for, like, I, for the team. It's going to be red and it's going to be blue. And I think I called them, like, Red Redgrave Associates and Blumenstein something something. <laughs> like, it's red versus blue. Anyways, it's the whole idea. It's like, just give them the armbands and then, and then off you go. Um, and... You know, you want to do that because we're not going to be doing prearranged teams like you were saying. Like, I mean, yeah, you can pre-register and stuff like that, and we will assign you to one or the other. But if you come to us and say, hey, I want to be on the other side because my my buddy's on the other side, that's fine. That's okay. Like, we're not concerned about that. The only thing is that we'll be set in stone will be the commanders. And if they decide to have a, a command st- a structure or like a leadership team, then that likely will be set too. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if you show up day of and are like, oh, my buddy's over there, can I play with him? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So those are those are things to consider. I think, you know, when you're looking at the overall like the the gameplay balance, like you want to to give opportunities for teams to play in different ways. Um and the the very last thing I want to talk about is as a game organizer, uh you got to reward creative play. Like yeah, it's... chances are if you're anything like me, the people who are playing airsoft at your events are way smarter than you. Like I'm a moron. Like the people who are playing airsoft are super smart, super creative, right? And when we come up with game design ideas, when we come up with gameplay mechanics, when we come up with hurdles that we are deliberately putting in front of them to solve, they will very, very regularly solve them in ways that I didn't even think they were going to think about, yep. right? Which is that's, awesome. That's that's awesome. That's a great problem to have, it's, right? Uh, it's the, the improv uh, rule, right? Yes, and yeah, um, you know, a really, really good example is again from that first game. So um, we put Phil on the gates to the village, and Phil didn't speak in English because we wanted that to be an interesting hurdle, and uh, we weren't really sure what they were going to do. But certainly, at no point did we consider uh, one player randomly on the the team that we were doing this to going, "Oh, I'm in French immersion. I speak." enough french to get by and talking to Phil yeah. in french it's like yeah i never thought that that was gonna happen <laughs> right and that was awesome <laughs> yeah and so when you think about the first last refuge game the whole idea was we're gonna create this checkpoint at a gate and then they're gonna get to the gate and they're gonna be asked they're gonna ask to come into the village because that's what the players are going to do uh and then we're gonna talk to them in french and they'll be like oh my god what do we do how do we like uh, I, I don't know what to do blah 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 etc and that was gonna stall them from getting into the village you know uh very early and so then when this kid is speaking to me in french i'm like Okay, well, I need to revise my plan because I didn't expect him to be in the village so soon. But this guy speaks to me in French, and he's his French was perfectly like you know he was obviously like not like native, and that's fine. But I could understand what he was asking, what he was saying, and he was offering to help the villagers and role playing. And I was like, okay, let him in. Like 
20 minutes into the game where we didn't think they would even make contact for the you know for like two hours right uh their whole their whole mission was go and recon the village and then report back what you see they went right up to the gate started talking and got right inside so it's like wow that's a huge win right and if we had said well no that's not what we wanted or whatever like that doesn't reward their creativity right um so you really need to be flexible in your thinking to when those things happen and they're going to happen all the time and, and right? for added fun how you respond to that is important and for added fun like you're, we're looking to reward their creativity and challenge ours right because yeah. part of this is us going okay like well they we, we did not plan for that what are we going to do now um you know but as much as possible you want the answer to be all right so this is a cool thing and we're going to ride this cool thing out and make sure that it stays fun mm-hmm you know, the, the, there is, however, I, I will say something. When we ran the Last Refuge paintball version, um, there's a difference, I think, between creativity but also laziness in execution that is important in role playing. Yes. And one of the things that happened in particular is um, I was in the village. I was acting as the mayor or whatever. And one of the teams came and they bribed me for something. I can't remember what it was. So they gave me a bunch of in-game currency and asked me to, you know, like for lack of uh, remembering what it is, let their team in with their, with with their airsoft replicas, which they, none of the teams were able to do so far. Right. And I was like, I wasn't expecting a bribe. That's not in the write-up that I wrote. Uh, But yeah, this is creative shorts. You just gave me half your in-game currency to do that. Yeah, let's make it happen. So I said, yeah, that's cool. And then the other team's commander saw that exchange, but they didn't know what it was about. And so he just came right up to me and gave me a whole bunch of money and said, hey, undo what that just did. Yeah, and that... And I was like, no. Uh, what? You don't even know what you're asking. So I took his money and I did nothing with it, <laughs> right? Because if that had been a real extra, it's like, you don't know what you're asking for. It's like, sure, yeah, I'll undo that. Give me the money. Right. So like, there's the difference I think between rewarding creative gameplay, but also like when people are trying to game that gameplay, that's when you sort of have to think about, okay, what is this adding? And, right? and like to take a, a thing from game design, like outside of yourself stuff, you know, one of the big rules there is probably don't allow things to counteract previous actions easily yeah. or to, uh, you know, to create non-interactive gameplay, right? So like that situation is a really good example of something you don't want to have happen because it is removing a cool thing instead of letting the cool thing ride and having it change and influence the game and cause interesting things to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So with that being said, I think we've run a bit of the gamut for your, you know, organizing your game. Like we've talked about, you know, selecting the right field, selecting your venue, talking to the field owners, making sure you're all set up for that. Thinking about what exactly are you trying to achieve with the game? Like what is, what is the overall thing that you're trying to push? Is it a Star Wars game? Is it a LARP? Is it a mill sim? Like a, a true mill sim? Is it something in between? You've considered as well, like how people are actually going to play, how they're going to win uh, and how you're giving them uh, an opportunity to not only come up with creative ways 
to win, but you're giving them multiple opportunities to score points, potentially uh, multiple avenues of approach or not, depending on the style of game you're running. But the more you do that, the more of an engaging experience you create. So that's a fair amount of the gamut. And we've had some really good experiences with that. One thing we haven't really talked about, we're not going to get into today, but it's the it's the notion of role-playing and how you create this. And just to peek behind the curtain a little bit, when we ran Last Refuge 1 the first time, uh, I was the main organizer for all of it. So I ran, I, I, I had... A, awesome staff and awesome team helping me to run the day of and like do a bunch of different stuff. But when it came to the time of like the gameplay, I was managing both the, the capture points, the missions for the commanders, um, the gameplay on the field, as well as the missions uh, and the role-playing in the village, uh, what the villagers were doing, what the faction influence levels were like, what people were doing, what who, which team we liked more than the other, what a, you know, all this kind of and stuff. And if you're paying attention, I found that, two sentences ago, he was at way too much stuff and kept going. <laughs> yeah, so it was, it was a lot, right? Um, and organizing the points is one thing, and organizing the role-play is another. Now, the day, the last refuge, the first day, like it was, or not the first day, but like what, when the role playing started, it was complete chaos. Uh, like, but both in terms of like what was going on, but also what people were doing, which was awesome. Like it was really, um, I'd say that the term is emerging gameplay, <laughs> emergent yeah. gameplay. Like it was very yes. like very emergent. Lots of stuff was happening. Like uh, the the mayor was elected and executed and replaced like in a span of like twenty minutes. <laughs> uh, and then there was another execution and players were being ex- like it was just complete a uh, complete chaos. But um, through all of that, I was still trying to gr- like grapple uh, with okay, well, who do we like? Who do we not like? How are we helping, etc. And so for this uh, iteration. I'm going to run all the like gameplay mechanics aspect of like the capture points, the commanders, those missions. And Pat is going to do the role playing, the storyline and the village and all that. How do do our factions, how do we like the factions, that sort of stuff. So that it's not one person trying to juggle all the balls. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, it's, it's interesting too, because Pat as is, you know, uh, with his experience, like being the GM and stuff for role playing games, that, skill set lends itself very well to that um so it's a natural fit i I can certainly do uh pat we need this story to continue for eight hours and not go to shit (laughs) yeah exactly right so that's the last thing i'm going to leave you guys on uh with respect to that is you know get help from other people like bounce ideas off but also don't be afraid to delegate you don't have to do it all by yourself especially if the game that you're trying to run is much bigger uh if there's a lot going on you know you think about some of these larger larps um like when we're talking to chris about the star wars larp like there's a lot of moving parts and you can't do all of that by yourself you need to get help uh, and you need to get help from people who you trust and have have uh, confidence in right and, so it's really really important yeah and i mean you want to you know, this is one of these things that feels obvious to say, but you're going to want people who are going to work hard to make sure that it's fun for everyone. Um, you know, so yeah, pick the people you're trying to lean on for more complicated parts based on that. Yeah. So that's it for this episode. Uh, we're going to be looking at perhaps doing another part on the on the role playing. Once we get more details from Dup as well, we're going to be sharing that. I mentioned early on in the year we're going to be sharing our templates as well f- uh, after the event, so that it's not going to be like a, a spoiler. No for, spoilers. Like someone local decides to go look at the template for the breakdown of the time, but like so you can see how we organized uh, ourselves, how we organized the timelines, the point structure, etc. And hopefully that'll help you uh, in your thinking, your organization. Um, just before we go, uh, once again. Uh, 
um, I'm going to plug the Discord. Uh, I've talked about this a lot. Our Discord server is in, in the description of all of our videos. Um, we have people all around the world uh, who are on this stream right now, uh, as well as who are finally getting to play Airsoft together with people who they otherwise would not have met before. And that's crazy cool. Uh, we do have a truly global community. We have an inclusive community. Like Airsoft is for everyone. Uh, and our Airsoft Discord is absolutely for everyone, whether you're a speed softer, a milsim, somewhere in between, uh, whether you like to reenact, whether you like to play Airsoft in uh, in a furry costume, it doesn't matter. Like whatever you like, however you like to enjoy Airsoft, uh, there's a place for you in our community. We'd love to have you join if you're not already a member. Uh, if you, as a rem reminder as well, you're able to get our community patch, a global community, truly global community. There are people with this patch who live in uh, Slovenia, people who live in Portugal, people who live in even Australia, although I don't know if they actually got them yet, <laughs> it's uh, in the mail. but they will soon. <laughs> uh, they're all over the world. And that's such a cool feeling for us. And we're so grateful for, for you guys. Um, so with that being said, that's, that's all we've got for you this week. Thank you so much for listening and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for week. tuning in guys. Have a great week.